When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome again to another edition of THN on the Q, brought to you by BetMGM. My name's Will McLaren. His name's Jamie Tozer. And uh, Jamie, we're going to start off with using uh, one of the most Ron McLean-esque openings that you could ever ask for. Um, you, know, you know, I'm a baseball fan. I don't know about yourself. Um, but, uh, you know, w- one of my favorites was Moneyball. And uh, Billy Bean, who, of course, almost ended up going to my Red Sox as a GM before Theo Epstein was hired and Billy Bean's uh, mantra was always trying to win the last game of the season, um, which of course Billy has been trying to do for years and he's not going to do it this year in Oakland. Um, but one team that did do it this year was the Quebec Rampart. Fourth year in a row that the Q have walked away with the national title. Uh, it happened on fr- on Sunday night and it happened in surprisingly for me anyway, surprisingly convincing fashion a five nothing win over seattle jamie what are your thoughts yeah it wasn't uh wasn't close at all really uh complete domination by quebec uh maybe not that surprising given how quebec's played in that tournament but i think all of us were kind of surprised to not see um, a bit more pushback from um, a loaded seattle team that we saw um but boy you know, Seattle, like we mentioned last week, uh, Quebec was playing um, so physical and, you know, they, they kind of, this is not a Remparts team that kind of plays into that um, stereotype of a soft QMJHL team. Um, and it really seemed like Seattle in the final try to crank up that physicality, try and play that typical WHL game and Quebec matched them. Um, and eventually Seattle just crossed the line, got into penalty trouble, really threw off their game. Um even though Quebec kind of got up, I was definitely getting a little nervous for Quebec just because they weren't cashing in on those power plays. And it felt like, oh, this is Seattle might be able to stick around in this game if, if Quebec might not be able to to score on these these chances that they're getting. But um, two nothing Quebec after two pretty solid two periods. Um, but I know myself and I think a lot of people probably watching probably thought that we were going to see a huge third period from Seattle, a huge push down just two goals in the Memorial cup final. Um, and it just never happened. Um, I think shots were seven, nothing at one point in the third period, just Quebec just came out pretty much like they had been in the first two periods, no real push from Seattle. Um, and then when Gaudet scored, um, 12, 21 shorthanded, it, it really felt like it was over. Um, and I don't think there's any question at all that Quebec was the best team in this tournament. Uh, very deserving of uh, the national championship. Um, I don't remember who tweeted it, but I saw a line that I thought was like perfectly described kind of this game and this tournament even. Um, Seattle Seattle might have the most talented players, but I think Quebec had the most talented team, and I think the best team uh, ended up winning this tournament. Yeah, uh, I, you'll not get any... Um... Uh, any argument from me on that, Jamie? Um, you know, you, you talked about going into that third period. Uh, Thunderbirds only down two nothing. Um, quite frankly, that's probably the most shocking part of the game to me: the lack of urgency. 
yeah. uh, that the Thunderbirds uh, displayed in that third period. You're just waiting, you know. Yep. And I know I saw it on social media. You already alluded to it here just moments ago. You saw it on social media from people, you know, in the junior hockey com- community just saying, you know, you know, here comes the push. Like, they've got to push. When are they going to start pushing? And that three nothing goal, as you mentioned, that was just like putting a pin in a balloon. I thought it just deflated everything. But the one thing about this Quebec team, yes, they were physical, which, you know, you would expect that from the Seattle's from the Kamloops. That's kind of the stereotypical WHL style game. Turns out that the two teams from the East were the most physical. The Peets were were pretty hard hitting, uh, uh, sort of brood as well, you know, not just that, but, you know, basically a fight, uh, not quite maybe every game, but I think they had three majors by the time the uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, tournament was over. Yeah. And I mean, most teams probably didn't have three fighting majors in the entire playoffs. Yeah. Um, but um, beyond that, the other thing that stuck with me or struck me with the, uh, with the Ramparts is, and it wasn't even close, I found in this department, they were by far the fastest and the quickest team of the four in the tournament, um, which maybe does play into the Q stereotype. I uh, mm-hmm. think of, you know, speedy offensive players and, and, and uh, the Rampart have that, you know, you, you talked about uh, Kasim Gadet, probably one of the better skating forwards on that team. And that's a guy on your third line. Um, you know, uh, your, your guys like Theo Rochette, whose skating has improved uh, quite a bit over the years. Uh, just to name a couple, guys who are very steady on their skates. Their edge work is very strong, and uh, you know, let's not forget, you know, the the defense on this team. Um, I thought their ability to control the game, even when they weren't being a physical presence. You know, a, a guy who stuck out to me almost every shift he was out there on the back end was well, two guys we'll even mention, uh, Charles Truchon who had an outstanding tournament, and uh, Nicolas Savoy, who somewhere between the final game in Halifax of the Gilles Courteau Trophy final and the first game of the Memorial Cup final became Nico Savoy. Um, <laughs> five years watching this it. guy in the league. Just go with yeah, it. We'll, we'll just go with it, yeah. <laughs> but uh, somehow TSN had the, the dirt that we didn't have for five years, and all of a sudden he became Nico Savoy. But um, he is one of those guys who's just very controlling of the play. He's able to quarterback, and he doesn't panic under pressure. And Patrick Guan made a comment after that uh, final game saying that he was nervous coming into the game. He definitely, you could tell, he definitely didn't um, impart that energy onto his team. Because mm-hmm. his team, on top of everything else, the skill, the physicality, the timely goals, his team was just incredibly calm for all 60 minutes. It was almost robotic. And they were the, the one thing that I think you and I both said about the Rampart when the playoffs began. If they can stay disciplined and they can stay structured, they have as good a chance as any, but we didn't know if they could do it. Turns out not only did they did it in the Q playoffs, they did it throughout this tournament. Yeah, and you know, I know we're going to mention a little bit about the the Q success um, a little later on, mm-hmm. but you know, you kind of wonder if um, not having the pressure of being viewed as a favorite is kind of uh, a relief, and maybe that's you know why the, it seems like the Q teams in recent history have have gone in and been so uh, 
so good at performing under pressure. It just it doesn't seem like anything seems to bother the Q teams. The rem parts were, were definitely like that, and we saw it in the Q playoffs too. Um, just nothing seemed to rattle them, um, which is really saying something because, again, you know, it's not like the rem parts you know, had all these comeback, uh, thrilling uh, overtime wins or anything like that, and it's not like they faced a, a huge amount of adversity through the playoffs. Uh, but they were able to kind of cru- cruise through uh, playoffs and the Memorial Cup. Really, really impressive. And like you mentioned, well, like the to me, what's going to be remembered by this Rempires team is their commitment to defensive play. Um, I, you know, unfortunately, the CHL doesn't track the the dangerous shots that the Q does. But I feel like the amount of dangerous shots they let up in this entire tournament has to be like near record lows. Um, it seems like they hardly gave up any quality scoring chances. And when they did, Russo was was excellent net. Um, extremely, extremely uh, impressive uh, uh, defensive performance and commitment to stick to a game plan. Full credit to Patrick Waugh and the uh, and the coaching staff. This this team was ready to play every single game. Um, what I always find interesting too about this tournament is, you know, you go through the playoffs and we always talk about the third and fourth lines and how they stick out more so in the regular season. But when you get to the Memorial Cup, it's usually the star players that end up being the stars. Um, and usually the champion has the best players. And I think that's definitely the case. You know, we look at Ro- Rochette and Bolduc both had six points. Malatesta, Godet, Robida, five points. Gaucher, three points. Uh, just terrific, terrific performances from their best players. And that's what you need um, to win the Memorial Cup. And then on the other end, you look at Seattle, that top line. Um, Gunther, Lambert, Schaefer, really underwhelmed. Um, and I think that that mm-hmm. kind of did Seattle in this tournament. You look at Gunther ended up fifth in team scoring, uh, Lambert seventh, Schaefer 12th. And I, I just, you know, you look at recent Memorial Cup champions, I just don't think that's going to quite get it done in this tournament. Your best players have to be your best players, and Quebec got that. Yeah, it's not just cliche, and you're absolutely right, Jamie. You know, you could see... Yeah, you know, you, you can see the disparity between the top guys on, on either side. And it was noticeable. And, you know, that, you know, that was one of the things that proved to be a difference. And, you know, from, from Quebec's standpoint, you know, five, nothing winning the final five different goal scorers and Kamarov, Gadet, Bolduc, Malatesta and Charles Savoie as well. So you talk about depth guys coming up at the right yeah. time. Savoie with the, with the fifth goal in that game. And William Rosso, of course, 32 saves. Uh, Malatest, uh, he duplicates his QMJHL uh, MVP uh, antics with a Memorial Cup MVP with five goals in four games. And as per usual, James Malatest is scoring at some of the most timely points in this tournament. No difference here. Big 2 nothing goal in the final. And uh, to, to loop it back to, to the beginning, uh, Jamie, four straight victories for the QMJHL Memorial Cup. No league has ever done that. Uh, since the uh, even the three team format started you know, 51 years ago, uh, this is an unprecedented run. And seven of the last 10 or seven of the last 11 tournaments, I should say, have gone to the queue. And you made a point here uh, during the midst of this conversation about um, being the underdog and being classified as the underdog. And of course, it, we had the classified as the underdog. We were expecting Seattle in the final. It's true. And quite frankly, I, I know you, I don't know about you, but I, I know I had them lining up against Kamloops. Um, a lot of people did. A lot of people thought this was going to be an all WHL final. Dub was going to finally break through. They haven't won this tournament since 2014. 
and it ended up being not the case at all. So first of all, our perfect streak of predictions rang true right to the end of the season. So <laughs> way to go us. Um, and second of all, the question I think has to be asked, uh, when, when will we reach the point where the QMJHL is no longer the underdog? How many tournaments, how many victories is it going to take before... Never. Yeah, well, you know what, quite frankly, I think if you're the Q, you'll take the underdog role every time because it's proving to be successful. But, yeah. you know, at a certain point, it just becomes silly. And yes, I grew myself in that group as well. But common sense almost has to prevail at a certain point where you realize you know, this isn't this isn't the Q of you know the 80s, for example, or the early 90s. This is a league that's a force to be reckoned with, not just regularly, but more than the other two leagues. Yeah, it's it was funny, you know, reading some of the, the stuff online about Quebec winning. Um, I honestly, I'm at the point where I don't think the Q is ever going to be reached that point where they're on a level, at least in, amongst um, hockey fans at the even level of the OHL and even the WHL. Uh, you know, it seems like there's always going to be an excuse for why the Q is is the weakest league. Um, I, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to get away from that. Um, but, I, you know, I think there's maybe an argument to be made that that might be good for the league and that there's just so little pressure on these Q teams going into the tournament. Um, they just go in and, you know, play their game as if it's just another playoff game. Um, and recent histories that it's worked out very well for them. So, um whatever they're doing it's working and it really feels like ever since you know i got i got to mention uh saint john at least one point in the show it really feels like saint john in 2011 it, it just seems like something really changed after that it seems like there's like so much more confidence so much more swagger amongst the q teams more of a you know a belief in that you know even if things go a little wrong we can still win this tournament like schwinnigan did mm -hmm. i think there's just more more belief and confidence both and the front office, I think front offices believe that they can build Memorial Cup champions. And I think the players know that they have a shot when they get to this tournament now. Yeah, I think it's almost like an evolutionary thing. First, yeah. they had to break through. They had to break the streak. They did that in 96. And then, of course, they won in 97 as well between Granby and Hull. Then when Ramuski won in 2000, and we're going to talk a little bit about that um, championship at the end of this broadcast as well, uh, in, in a manner of speaking. Then I felt, because... It's not only that, Jamie. They won in 2000, then they went to the finals in five, six straight years from 2001 to 2006. And, of course, there's the all-Q, the first ever all-Q matchup between Quebec and Moncton in 2006. Quebec won their uh, won the Memorial Cup, of course, that year as well. And, if, and during somewhere in that streak, it became apparent that it's gone from the Q will never win to the Q can win on any given year. And then, and then it really went into overdrive. I agree with you in 2011. That started three in a row. Um, and the Q has been consistently um, either in the final or outright winning the tournament ever since. And I say we're on the back end of four in a row now. Who knows when it's going to end? But, um, you, know, uh, you know, kind of to your point, if, if this is part of the recipe for success, coming in maybe with a chip on your shoulder, maybe just, you know, not being taken as seriously as the other two leagues. So be it. They'll just keep walking away with the, with the uh, trophy uh, at the end of the tournament, if, if that's the case. So congrats to the Quebec Grand Par. Um, 
second Memorial Cup in modern history, third overall for the city, and um, very well deserved all the way around. And uh, you know, memories that are going to live forever, both amongst that team and amongst those uh, of us that follow the league. So again, what to, what what do you think of the tournament overall? Seems like it's like kind of boring compared to last year. I know, like not, not, I feel yeah. like we were. I feel like like last year was more fun for us because we were so in it and invested in it. Um, well, we were literally the there. For yeah, it's true. You know, other than the entire, other than the entire province getting a disease, uh, it was pretty much a success. Hey, um, you know, it is bound to happen. Hey, you know, that's a communicable di- disease amongst hockey fans. Hey, yeah, things happen. But like the um, the games were way better last year. Like, there's way they were they were closer. Yeah, there were closer yeah. games. I think there the, the the only the only game I think that wasn't decided by two goals or or less was the final at the end of it all. Um, but it also felt good to get back to the tournament. It was the first after a two-year hiatus, uh, first one since 2019, uh, full houses in St. John again, you know, transmitting diseases and whatnot. But uh, it, it, it was just, it was one of those things. Um, it, uh, it, yeah, I agree. It, was, it wasn't my favorite tournament this year. Uh, quite a few more blowouts, obviously. Um, the time change was a bit of a slog for older guys like me. Um, but, uh, yeah, at the end, of, at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're not going to get uh, Picasso every single year. Sometimes you're painting a barn and not painting a Picasso. And this one was definitely uh, kind of painting the barn, I think more than, more than, more than anything. Um, but Hey, let's see what happens in Saginaw next year. Uh, we go back to the uh, U.S. for the first time in 26 years. The Spirit will be first-time participants, and it'll be interesting to see uh, who represents uh, the, the uh, leagues from across the country, particularly the Q, as uh, teams continue to ramp up. Uh, one of the teams that we thought was going to ramp up a little bit this year and is hoping to do so more next year is the Drumville Voltigeur. It was a very bizarre season there last year. Um, they fired their coach, Steve Hartley, on November 23rd of last year. Uh, Philippe Boucher, their GM, resigned shortly thereafter. Uh, they brought in Eric Belanger to coach the team for the last half thereabouts of the season. And they ended up getting an upset first-round victory over the Victoriaville Tig. They've hired a new GM in Yannick LeMay, but they're not going to have the same coach uh, starting next season as Eric Belanger and the Voltigeur parted ways last week. Jamie, your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. You know, that midseason coaching changed. Um, it took a little bit to kind of kick in. It didn't really have that immediate impact that we often see with with coaching changes. And I know there was some some injuries on Drummondville at the same time, but still it didn't didn't really have like that instant impact that you see quite a bit. Um, but, you know, they, they turned it around a little bit in the second half. Um, and then, you know, out of that really good playoff run where we kind of saw the the or playoff run that one series win anyway that we thought that we kind of saw the Drummondville team that we thought we were going to see all year um so I thought that was a you know a positive sign and certainly thought that Belagier could be back simply based on that success um but you know I, I feel like we see this all the time at every level of hockey you get a new GM come in um he wants his own guy probably um I'm sure he, he's He's probably well connected with the players by now. Um, has probably talked to a lot of them, and this I'm sure Tim seems like the best situation for him to to hire his own guy. Um, I think it's uh, going to be an interesting season in Drummondville, just because again, um, such a disappointing year compared to what their roster looks like. 
Um, certainly some, some different directions they can go in this off season. I'm curious to see if what moves they make, but uh, like we mentioned, I feel like every other episode, <laughs> Drummondville has quality guys. They've got quality guys. So I feel like um, they've got a chance to be a good team, at least on paper from what I can tell. Uh, so curious to see what, who they bring in uh, as a coach here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Yannick LeMay has connections in the league in the uh, all the way up um, up to the pro level. Uh, so, you know, he could probably have his pick of who he'd want. One guy that I wonder if he'd bring in, and I have no connections to rumors here at all. Oh, let's go. References. Let's go. But there's one guy who's been not so much. He's been a very consistent theme in the life of Yannick LeMay, the junior hockey um, employee. That's Pascal Vincent. Uh, He's an assistant coach in uh, Columbus right now, of course. But I wonder, like just thinking out loud, and there's a coaching turnover in Columbus right now, of course, um, amongst the head coaching gigs. So maybe. Yep. And Drummondville, Drummondville's produced some coaches, right? Like that's the, that's a, that's a good market to come to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there's a lot of names that have been swirling around lately, of course, you know, Serge Beausoleil is, uh, Serge Beausoleil is one. Um, you know, we talked about um, Louis Robitaille uh, parting ways with the organization. No, we're not done talking about Gatineau, but uh, Louis got his start as an assistant coach in Drummondville. Um you know, and that's just a couple. Guy Boucher, maybe he goes back to Drummondville. There's a lot of names out there. Don Ducharme. To see. Don Ducharme, of course, another former Voltageur coach. Be interesting to see who fills the boots because, you know, the, it's you can tell the Voltageur really, they, the all the signs point to they want to keep uh, on the tra- trajectory that they think they should be on. And they really want to be competitive this, this coming year and the year after. Well, you know, they, 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 it stands to reason that I think you're going to see a, you know, a quote unquote name coach take over that spot. Um, and there's a lot to choose from. So it's going to be interesting. Speaking of interesting, how about the Gatineau Olympic? Uh, so Louis Robitaille went from staying with the organization for his uh, the last year of his contract to parting ways with the organization two, two weeks ago to uh, the team uh Putting, uh, handing over the reins to interim GM and former Q defenseman Jean-Francois Fortin. And this week, or this past week, um, Fortin said, no, that's okay. Uh, you might want to get somebody else to run the draft, uh, which, by the way, is this weekend. And uh, so Maxime Joyel, uh, who some longtime fans of the league might remember as a former Quebec Rampart and Nancy Bathurst Teton goaltender, He'll now be running the draft alongside um, Jacques LeBlanc, who's a consultant with the team, and uh, Derek Broussard, who is a shareholder with the team. Um, say, drafts this weekend, Jamie. Um, thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a this is different, right? Um, I think really? when your when your GM gets fired close to the draft, which doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. Um, you know, I think there's a certain level of, oh boy, to do this so close to the draft, that's a problem. But then at the same time, it's like, well, I'm sure a lot of the scouting staff, a lot of the assistants are well-informed and they, they know what's going on with the team, the trades, the draft picks, they, they kind of know what's going on. But when you start to lose more and more layers, I think this close to the draft, I think that's really concerning, which is what happening, which is what's happening here. Um, probably a good thing that Gatineau 
from what we what it looks like anyway probably won't be on the podium very much if at all um on draft day so i don't think they're gonna have the busiest of draft days in terms of drafting players um mm-hmm. but there's that we do know that there's going to be some trades completed probably some other trades made which is going to complicate things i'm sure at least a little bit um and obviously those those trades that weren't predetermined um i don't know how those will get made if any of those will get made so um definitely not an ideal situation that's putting <laughs> putting it bluntly um definitely not a good situation to be in but um you know Gatineau the the ownership they've they put themselves in this position right they to fire their gm this uh, to wait so long after the season to make this decision um and then be dealt another blow this is you know it's it's unfortunate for them but i mean this is kind of what could happen right yeah absolutely i, I said last week when when louis got uh like or when they parted ways, um, something's up. Like there, there's something. Uh, there, there, there's a piece of the story that we don't know about. Yeah, and we still don't know about it. But I think what's safe to say is it's it's probably less appealing than even we speculated last week. When now you know Fortin's now out. Um, you know, you, you've got guys who just don't have experience running a draft table at all. Uh, in charge of that as you said Jamie you know it's probably not the end of the world quite as much from the standpoint of there they are going to have fewer picks in the draft and as far as the the back ends of deals those have to be made like if like quite frankly if those aren't made then there's not a team in the league that's going to deal with again no olympic going imagine forward. you um, imagine that would be i mean <laughs> as a fan of chaos go for it as a as another slightly lesser fan of teams retaining their integrity, um, you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> so, you know, the and and you know what do, what what gets yielded back? You know, there probably will be a couple of higher higher picks landing at those lap as a result of the back end of some of those trades. And the other side of things too, this is year zero, we'll call of a massive rebuild that this team's going to have to undertake, it would be really nice to have the foundation of the front office in place going into this weekend. Obviously that's not the case, but uh, where do they go from here? That's, that's the, the million dollar question, so to speak. And based on the moves we've seen in the last three weeks, I think it's safe to say that the answer is nobody knows. <laughs> we yeah. don't have a clue, but um, yeah, be interesting to see what happens on the draft floor for sure. And uh, over the summer, even, even into next season with Gatineau as, as they uh, get their house, uh, hopefully in order sooner rather than later. NHL team profile t- time, uh, Jamie. And uh, admittedly, you know, we have a sort of a formula that's dictated to us and how we do these teams. Uh, we try to go alphabetical order by division. Well, we kind of missed one, uh, but it's a fortuitous miss because the miss was the Florida Panthers. And if there's a team you want to talk about right now in the NHL, well, they, they're one of two that would be worth talking about for sure. Um, down 2-0 in the uh, Stanley Cup final as, the, uh, as of uh, this recording. We are back to recording as our usual on a Tuesday night. Um, see if they can get back in the series and uh, try and do their best to complete this real Cinderella run uh, with Game 3 taking place Thursday night in FLA. But, uh, you know, talk about champions there's a champion in the queue, the only queue player drafted uh, by the Panthers, who's now in the league, and that's Evan Noss of your Quebec Grand Park Memorial Cup Champions 2023. 
Yeah, and we mentioned the the how good Quebec was defensively, and Nas was a huge piece of that defense core. Um, it's really been a huge piece of the defense core for a number of years now. One of the the pillars of that back end. Um, kind of forgot too that he was a he was a Valdor pick in 2019. Uh, played the mm-hmm. USHL that year, then went back into the draft, then went fifth overall to Quebec. Uh, so probably not the probably not the most liked player in Valdor, but uh, certainly a well liked player in Quebec, I think, and uh, in in New Brunswick as well. Um, only got into 40 games this year with the Remparts, I believe due to an injury, 29 points. Um, had another couple assists in four games in the Memorial Cup, but uh, such an important piece for the Remparts on that back end. And we saw um, how good they were defensively throughout the tournament, throughout the playoffs. Um, and without him, they wouldn't have been as good. Simple as that. Yeah. And a very steadying influence. Um, you know, you really saw the progression of, uh, of Evan Noss the last couple of years. He was a second round pick of the Panthers back in 2021. Um, and uh, the thing that strikes me about him, and this is probably going to make him that much more appealing in the eyes of scouts. Um, he, he's just one of those guys who is, very, I'd say he's 100% mistake-proof, but he's pretty close. Um, he's great at playing the angles. You know, you may, may not know, notice him from a physical standpoint every shift. You may not notice him from an offensive standpoint from every shift, but more often than not, he's the guy with the confidence to lug the puck up ice and start the transition, you know, getting the quote-unquote third assists on some plays. And uh, on the defensive side of things, he's just, he's just such great, does such a great job of angling people uh, out of high scoring areas. And Jamie, you mentioned it during our first uh, bit here about the, the number of quality chances that uh, the Rampires gave up during that tournament and how it was you know, microscopic at times, the number of high quality chances that, uh, that they were letting their opponents uh, uh, get on William Russo. Well, Evan Noss plays a big factor in that, yeah. you know, just getting the body, getting the stick in the right position, um, you know, deflecting pucks, blocking shots, doing everything, uh, just a great track, jack of all, all trades and the sort of guy, you know, they, they, the Panthers just uh, last off season parted ways with another one of those unsung heroes sort of defensemen that came out of the queue, also a Memorial Cup winner in Mackenzie Weaker. Well, a guy like Evan Noss is going to probably come in, could easily come in to the Florida Panthers at some point in the next couple of years and be that guy. Not to say that their games are identical, but he could be that guy in the standpoint of he can kind of do it all and he'll be effective and he'll give you 20 minutes a game at least. And he'll be, and he'll be effective in all three zones. So be very interesting to see where Evan's game goes from this point forward. Um, but definitely a pro career in his future. Uh, three guys in the AHL for the Florida, with the, uh, um, with the AHL affiliate, uh, of course, uh, the guy who wrote the missive here said that the AHL affiliate for the Florida Panthers is the Florida Panthers. Charlotte um, Checkers, man, have some respect. Correct. Have some respect for have, Charlotte have Checkers. Have some respect, exactly. Anybody with anybody with a polar bear on their logo gets full marks from me. And uh, they have three guys: named Xavier Cormier, J.F. Barube, a long, long time uh, uh, minor pro goaltender, former Montreal Junior. And uh, Riley Bizzo, who I know is a guy that you will probably want to talk about a little bit, Jamie. Well, like I have written in our show notes, similar to a lot of guys we've talked about this year, 
And again, like this is a, a player who not one of those that many of us probably would have predicted when they came into the queue as someone who would play their overage season in, in pro hockey. But uh, Bezo managed to do that and he did it through, you know, that, that toughness and grit and fighting style um, that we've seen a lot of Q players have success with. Um, what I find interesting though now about the Panthers is, uh, you know, Matthew Chuck is kind of the face of this team and um, how many players are going to kind of come along in Florida and, and play that similar style and move their way into the Panthers lineup uh, because that's kind of the, the mold of their team now, that Kachuk playing style. Um, and Bezo might kind of fit into that a little bit. Um, certainly a bit undersized maybe, um, but you know, if he, he kind of can kind of continue to play that gritty style, uh, at, at the pro level, which he's managed to do in his first season, in the AHL, he might be, have a shot at the, at the NHL here in the near future. 2022 Memorial cup champion, of course, with the St. John sea dogs scored a big goal in that tournament. Probably the biggest cheer or one of the biggest cheers in the tournament was for that Riley Bizeau ga- yeah. uh, goal, which I believe that did come in the final. Did it not Jamie? Yep, it did. Yeah, he had a fight. He had a fight in the tournament too. So this the fighting fight, fight, fighting's come yeah. back at the Memorial Cup here in recent years. Did, did his best Peterborough Pete's impression yeah. right there. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, again, you know, another champion. We talked about Evan Noss. Now here's Riley Bizeau. Uh, we're going to talk about another one here, just very briefly, with the Florida Everblades in the ECHL. And the main reason why I mention them is because, of course, the Panthers are in the uh, Memorial or in the uh, Stanley Cup final. The Rampart, they just won the Memorial Cup with Evan Noss. And you've got the Florida Everblades who are currently uh, fighting for a Kelly Cup. They're in the Kelly Cup final, uh, trying to claim an ECHL championship. They're doing it with guys like Cam Darcy, Olivier LeBlanc, another former Sea Dog, and Evan Fitzpatrick, another Memorial Cup winner with your 2018 Acadie Bathurst Teton. Um you know, uh, another, you know, group of, uh, of solid prospects. And, of course, Evan uh, saw a little bit of time at the AHL level. Um, and we'll just mention the lone NHLer, another guy who has Memorial Cup experience, Jamie, and a guy who was just so exciting to watch in his junior days and is still very exciting to watch as an NHLer, Anthony Duclair. Yeah, and Memorial Cup experience with the Remparts, too. Played in the uh, 2015 Absolutely. tournament. Played his whole Q career with the Remparts. Uh 249 points in 203 career games, so really good numbers uh, at the Q level. Um, really impactful player for the Remparts throughout his career. Um, you know, started that season too, the the Memorial Cup year in 2015. Started that year with the, with the New York Rangers before uh, making his way back, and he's having a play pretty good uh, good playoff run here with the the Panthers, 11 points in 17 games. So, uh, mm-hmm. um, a really important player for uh, Florida in this this surprising run. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, a guy who was injured most of the year with the Panthers as well. I think he only got in 20-some games in the regular season. Uh, 50-goal scorer in the queue. During a period, Jamie, where 50-goal scorers weren't quite as common as you would think. Um, So the casual queue fan, uh, he was one of the few guys doing it. And, uh, you know, certainly a a big factor. And I'll just, I want to mention one thing with Riley Bizeau. You sort of touched on it before we move on here. Uh, Riley Bizeau, um, you know, if if, uh, the Florida Panthers have Ryan Lomborg in their lineup, then surely the uh, Charlotte Checkers have Riley Bizeau. And there's certainly a lot of similarities. Said between the two, between the two guys. So great to see guys like that getting their chances uh, at the pro level. Uh, and of course, we'll see if Anthony Duclair ends up lifting a Stanley Cup at the end of this. I mean, you know, this is the team that was down three-one to the Bruins in the first round. 
So being two two down or two nothing down to the Golden Knights, not counting out the Panthers at all. Got to stay out of the penalty box a little more by not counting them out at all as of yet. And uh, just another quick thing because we're a little bit slipshod here. Uh, I will mention too. Uh, congratulations to the two CHL awards winners from uh, last oh, yes. week's uh, Memorial Cup t- tournament. Um, uh, the uh, Rookie of the Year, Maxime Massey from Shibumi Segnia, and uh, Kevin Darvo, Goaltender of the Year from uh, the Victoria Viltique. So uh, very deserving winners. And, of course, a little bit more of a pop there for Darvo, just from coming kind of out of nowhere and having yeah. the season that he did. Yeah, quite a goaltending duo in uh, Victoriaville this year. And Massey, that's someone who I think we're going we're gonna to be hearing a lot about next season. I think he's going to be uh... – one of the headlining players uh, in the queue next season and probably beyond that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and for as flashy as he is, we're going to talk about a little bit more of a stay at home guy here for a 2023 draft prospect of the week. He plays down the road from Maxime Massé in Ramuski. Of course, these two faced off uh, against each other in the uh, first round of the 2023 uh, playoffs. The big ice didn't phase this guy. Uh, Jamie. We're going to keep bringing that talent. up and, yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't know if there's, uh, I'm running out of dead horses here, but uh, there's still one in the closet, I think. We're going to talk about Charles Cote, uh, defenseman uh, for the uh, Ramuski Oceanic. Big body, uh, really climbed up through the ranks this year. Second year draft eligibility, and a guy who, you know, much like a lot of the guys we've talked about in recent episodes, Jamie, even if he doesn't get drafted uh, in a few weeks' time, um, there's a pro invite camp. Uh, a pro camp invite in his future for sure. Yeah. And turn, he's turned out pretty good. I think for an eighth round pick of Ramuski in the, the 2020 draft. So this has been a pretty good find. Um, not the most, uh, not, you're not going to see the most offensive production from him when he's on the game, when he's on the ice, 21 points in 62 games this year. Um, certainly a chance he picks that up um, as he continues to get older and kind of develops a little bit more um, in the queue. Uh, but even though he's not putting up a lot of points, he's certainly noticeable. I, I would I would say he's one of, if not the biggest player in the queue. Um, 6'6", 197. Uh, so he's certainly easy to spot on the ice. Um, certainly more of a defensive defenseman type. Um, but like you mentioned, Will, uh, got went to Anaheim camp last year. So certainly, even if he doesn't get drafted um, in a few weeks, certainly he'll be at a pro camp somewhere. Um and I did want to mention too, you know, we, we talked about this quite a bit this year for the draft eligibles, but I think it's worth mentioning again, because I almost feel like it's not being talked about quite enough. Uh, but Cote was one of the guys who did not play, as far as I can tell, did not play at all in 2020, 2021. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, we might see more late bloomers than we've seen in the past generations of players. Might see some more, you know, guys who maybe went later in the draft um, or not drafted at all kind of, develop a little bit surprisingly. And I think Cote has potential to be one of those guys. Definitely. And I, I kind of knew you were going to bring that up, Jamie, and I'm glad you did. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very good point. And I think it, you're, I agree with you. It's going to be a trend. Um, and, and I think it's a bigger reason why we're seeing a few more second and even third year eligible yeah. guys. You know, we talked about guys like you know, Justin Gill, for example, probably the biggest name, Max Pellerin, uh, guys, you know, second, sometimes third time around the, uh, around who are now getting a look. And I think there's a direct correlation, not just in the queue, but across the CHL and beyond of, of COVID uh, 
quashed seasons yep. and and these late bloomers so for sure charles cote he's a name that uh, you're going to remember around ranks in the queue uh, in the next couple of years and uh, uh, potentially in the pro ranks as well uh we're pretty much ready to wrap up here but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention a couple of things uh, a couple of names uh that uh, resurfaced uh this past week and uh, for the worst of reasons um, we did have a couple of losses amongst the QMJHL community, two guys that one guy who I knew a little bit personally and another guy who just was known throughout the league for years as a winger. The first guy uh, we'll talk about is Doris Levante, a uh, longtime coach of the Ramuski Oceania. He died of cancer last Thursday, 69 years old. There's a story that came out about two or three weeks ago about how he was uh, ending his treatments essentially and just sort of letting uh, letting things fall as they were. And unfortunately, Doris lost his band, his battle with cancer last week. Um, a guy who is probably best known, not only for being a Memorial Cup champion with those 2000 Ramuski Oceanic that we referred to earlier in the show, but also a guy who uh, was the coach of Brad Richards, Vinny LeCavier. Went to a more, went to a President Cup final with uh, Lacave in '98 with Ramuski, um, and of course Sidney Crosby and that powerhouse 2005 team that came within a game of winning the Memorial Cup. One of the best teams to ne- not win the Memorial Cup. They ended up running into that absolutely dominating London Knights team in 2005 and uh, ended up losing in the final. But uh, you know, you talk about losses. It's a loss for the hockey community. It's a loss for the Oceanic, and of course, our thoughts are, are with the, the Labonte family and also the Ramuski, the Ramuski Oceanic family as well, as uh, you know, a big part of their history. Probably the biggest non-player in their history really uh, is is no longer with us. And I'll say one thing, Jamie. Um, you know, it's one thing to be a champion, and you know, you, you look at some of the rosters, the teams that he had in two thousand and in 2005 particularly, and say, oh, geez, you know, how easy was that? Well, you know what? You get behind the bench, and you you try and be the coach of such talented teams. It's not as easy as it looks, probably because of the level of talent that you're dealing with and getting guys into the lineup and getting and getting them on the ice and, and rotating through uh, accordingly. Um, the thing that always stuck out for me, though, a player's coach. And... Uh, when the media horde around Sidney Crosby was so prevalent, his two years in the league, uh, Doris Labonte protected Sidney Crosby during times where, you know, where a lot of people considered maybe Sidney Crosby was being kind of a whiner, to be brutally honest. Doris Labonte was being a protector. And probably the best thing that could have happened to Sidney Crosby during his time in the league. Yeah, the other guy we'll talk about too uh, is uh, Blair Joseph. Now, uh, Blair called him Bearcat. Um, Blair Joseph was Cape Breton hockey for decades. He uh, he also died of cancer, pancreatic cancer. This was on Sunday. He was seventy eight. Um, Ten years as an assistant coach for the Cape Breton Scream Eagles, and that's just the tip of the iceberg for what uh, Bearcat uh, brought to hockey in Cape Breton and surrounding areas. He was a gold, gold gloves boxer as well, played for many years. His brother Fabian uh, was an Olympic, uh, an Olympic silver medalist twice uh, uh, at the, at, in the early 90s and also an assistant coach with the Moncton Wildcats. Uh, I know Fabian quite well. And uh, Bearcat was a, a mainstay in the, uh, 
um, in the uh, coaching ranks at a time when I was also in the broadcast ranks in Moncton. And we used to run into Bearcat quite a bit in the uh, press box at the old Moncton Coliseum. And uh, he was just a delight. He was just a joy to be around. You couldn't be around a guy like Bearcat and not have a smile on your face because it was either a story or a situation or what have you that just, he just, he, he, he brought life to the game. He brought life to whatever room we walked into. And of course our thoughts are with the Joseph family as well as the Cape Breton Eagles family uh, during, during this time. But, you know, two big losses, Jamie and the QMJHL fraternity um, uh, during the, the, the past week or so, and uh, always a shame and, uh, you know, uh, we we uh, we we know that they will be missed. Yeah, condolences to their friends and family, and you could tell just by the reaction from both fan bases what they meant to those teams, not just to those teams, but to the, those communities, um, two very well known and, and respected people. Uh, so condolences to the the fans and the community of uh, both those those uh, Ramuski and Cape Breton as well. Going to be an impact from both those guys for uh, generations to come, and that's not hyperbole. They were that important uh, to their teams and to the league. And that'll about do it for us for this week. But we do want to let you know, uh, we will not have an episode next week. Um, I'm unavailable. Um, Jamie is... um, I'll be recovering. I'll be recovering. Recovering recovering. from my epic trip to Sherbrooke. Yes, he will be there. (laughs) Uh, You know, you could live stream a little bit here. I'll I'll give I'll give a plug. I'll say uh, Friday night the the Wildcast boys are I believe I believe they're doing a live show that I'll be appearing on with uh, there you go. with some other gentlemen who are familiar with this program as well. So uh, I believe it's going to be on YouTube uh, on Friday evening. So uh, tune that. All right then. So um, you know you'll you'll join the the ranks of uh, Adam Lund and Jeremy Boucher on the Wildcast, and I'm sure a cast of thousands as well will be joining thousands, them. Yes. Absolutely. But uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about in two weeks time. Of course, the draft is this weekend in Sherbrooke. It's not just the draft and the prospects that are are making their entrance into the league. It's the trades. It's the it's all the hoopla that comes around the draft. First live draft, by the way, for the Q since uh, 2019. A lot of people, myself included, are looking forward to it. I'm looking so forward to it. I decided to book a trip to the south of France. Uh, so we <laughs> are not going to have an episode, as one does, absolutely. So I, same reason why I try to go to He's scary. Will, Will is just so yeah. invested. He's so invested in the import draft. He had to go to the Europe. The import draft is important, and it's coming up. And you've got to beat the bushes nowadays, too, <laughs> with some of the restrictions in place. Yeah. What better place to find the next generational talent for the queue than Nice, France, Monaco, or Menton, France. I, if you can find a better place, I'd like to hear it. I got nothing. No, I can't argue with it. I can't argue with it. And well, I'm sure the results will, will prove it. Pierre L. Edward Bellamar thanks you for your support, <laughs> as does Cristobal Huey. And on that happy note, we will see you in two weeks' time with all that was the 2023 QMJHL draft from Sherbrooke. Until then, he's Jamie. I'm Will, and thank you as always for watching THN on the Cube, brought to you by BetMGM.